0: Good morning, Foothill Church. Today's scripture is found in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Please stand for the word of the Lord. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O oh Lord, glorious and powered, your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congeal in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling ceases the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. There are still a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here again. Uh, We were gone the last couple of weeks. Uh, Last week, Michelle and I celebrated 32 years of marriage, and so we were out for that. And yeah, so thank you. Uh, And then before that, we were out at Story Church. Uh, I was preaching, and just uh, God's doing some great things out there. But it's good to be back with you this morning and as we open the Word together. So... um, <clears throat> this week, my family and I finally get to uh, fulfill a vacation we were trying to take for a few days to go to Yosemite. Back in October, because of COVID, we couldn't go, uh, but we get to go. We get to go this week uh, for for a few days. How many How many of you have been to Yosemite? Raise your hand. Right. And how many of you have driven through Tunnel View and you pop out on the other side and there's El Cap and there's uh, the, there's there's Half Dome. Anybody seen this? You all seen this, right? It, it's It's breathtaking. Right. It's one of those views you just don't forget, you almost feel this impulse, you have to pull over and just take it in. it's like you've come through and you're in Narnia, you're in some sort of enchanted land that you find yourself in. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon and stood and looked out and seen the grandeur of this? How many of you have been to the Redwood Forests? And you've seen these massive trees. And I'm telling you all this because I want to predict something about you in that moment. Whether it was the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, or or the Redwood Forest, or all three. You were probably standing there and thinking something in in addition to everything else you're thinking. Like, I wish so-and-so could see this with me. Or when you got back, you thought, I mean, uh, every chance I got, I had to tell somebody about what I saw. I needed to show them pictures. I needed to go ahead and let them know how amazing this thing is that I was able to witness. C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, has this very famous quote. Let me uh, read it with me here. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and might I add a movie or TV show and not be able to tell anyone how good it is to come suddenly to the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people in your car with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch to hear a joke and find no one to share it with. You ever been there? You ever felt that impulse like, I've got to tell somebody about this amazing thing that I've encountered. I just saw this movie, you got to hear about it. I just saw this TV show, I just saw this picture, I saw something, and now I have to consummate, I have to, I have to complete my joy by telling you about it. Like, we're wired this way. Um... Like, like I feel this all the time. Ask my kids the dinner table. I would have read a book and I'm coming, you guys got to hear this. I got to tell you about this thing that I'm reading or this thing that we enjoy. We all do it. We need to complete our joy by expressing the praise that's inside of us, right? In other words, these great moments demand great praise. You ever notice this? Great moments demand great praise. I mean, it's the touchdown in the Super Bowl that changes it. Or it's the World Series, you know, walk-off home run, and oh my goodness, that changed. It's the buzzer beater, and what happens? We strike up the band, the fight song plays, the parades, we dance for joy, we sing in these amazing moments of joy. Um, we were wired to praise. And we were wired, Christian, especially to praise when it comes to our salvation. Let me just suggest something. The depth of your praise will be equal, will be very similar to the degree of your salvation. Here's what I mean. If you understand that your salvation is just, you know what? I have otherwise a pretty good life and I just added Jesus to it and and now my life is a little better. That's going to be reflected in your praise. It's not that much. If you really believe at the end of the day that the one responsible for your salvation is you and that really it just sort of saved you into some kind of a little better life that's going to be reflected in your praise. If you don't believe in hell and what you've been saved from, if you don't believe that there was this great salvation, that will be reflected in your praise. But if you believe that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, dead, if you believe you were held captive to sin and Satan, if you believe that your future was godless and, and in hell separated from those you love and from God forever, if you believe that, that will be reflected in your praise. And what will that praise sound like? It might sound an awful lot like Exodus 15. And that's what I want to look to at today. Um, and here's what I hope, right? Exodus 15, we call it the Song of Moses. Today we'll call it the song of the redeemed. Because we've said all along, Exodus is a story. It's showing you, it really happened, but it's showing you, it's giving you pictures of your salvation. And so I hope that for those of you who would say, man, I believe that Jesus Christ saved me from an eternity of unimaginable horror, then I hope to reignite a passion for praising you. And if you're somebody who says, I've never known that, then I hope it awakens you and you do believe, okay? So let's start walking through this. We're just going to go kind of section at a time. And so the first section I want you to see is just simply this truth that when God saves, His people sing. That's verses 1 through 3. When God saves, His people sing. Now, by the way, this happens all through the Bible. This is a pattern you're going to see. There's salvation and there's singing. And I want you to see, by the way, that this has to happen here in Exodus 15. It doesn't happen in Exodus 1. Because what we have is the story up to this point. We have the narrative that tells us what they were rescued from. And because we know it, and because they experienced it, then we know that out of that gets birthed praise. Let let me just suggest a truism to you. Your praise comes out of your narrative. What you understand to be your story. What you understand God to have rescued you from. And this is where they begin to praise God. That's the pattern. It's the pattern in church, right? We came together already and sang three songs to God about Him, to Him, for Him. Now, this is weird, right? This doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. We're going to stand, raise our hands, and worship and praise God. You may go to a concert. You may sing to the top of your lungs. You're not singing to Bono. You're, you're Here we're coming, we're saying, we're singing this. This is for God. This is for Him. We're all focusing, I hope, our minds and our energy on Him. People sing to what they understand, to who they understand saves them. So, so what, is, what are most of the songs on the radio? It, it's, it's love songs. Or, but they're, but they're, they're, they're a lot about me and my awesomeness and what ultimately saves me is me and my heart and so we sing about the things that save us or we think will save us but 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 Christians right we sing differently we, we sing to God. We sing like David in Psalm 40. Listen to this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard, heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, making my steps secure. Do you, do you feel what David is doing there? I'm down inside of, of this, this cistern, if you will. This is where rain would pour into, mud up to his waist. He can't move around. I can't rescue myself out of this. I'm drowning, my feet are stuck, God reaches down, he hears my cry, Lord help me. It's the idea of God leaning over, hearing me, he picks me up out of that squishy mud and sets my feet upon a solid rock, he makes my steps secure, and then he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what happens when we understand what's happened to us. So God says, this is what's going on. So so Moses says, Moses says, uh, leads the people in singing, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. So why do they sing? You see verse one? The reason is because he has triumphed gloriously. I dare say, unless you are a Christian, you have never seen a glorious triumph. Here's what I mean. Like Tom Brady is, you know, undisputed goat, right? He is the greatest of all time. That's what everybody's gonna say. But Tom Brady didn't beat Kansas City on his own. He didn't get out on the field and go, guys, I got it. Like get out, the rest of you 10 off the field. I'll take offense, I'll do defense. It's all of me. If he did, we might say that was glorious. But he didn't and never will. It can't be done. Why is the triumph of God so glorious? Well, it's miraculous. We've seen seen 14 chapters of the things, of the signs and wonders. But it's glorious because God did this all by Himself. No one else deserves the credit. Nobody else gets to say, I helped. God did it and God did it alone. That's the idea behind your salvation. You didn't do anything through His arm. Through his hand he rescued you. And he goes on, and they they say, look down at verse 3. It says, The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. By the way, do you note that over and over we've heard in these first 14 chapters, I'm doing all these things that they may know that I am the Lord, that they may know, that he may know, that, that the Israel may know, that Egypt may know that I am the Lord. And now here's Israel saying, The Lord is his name. We know him. We know him because he's what he's done and rescued. Christian, one of the ways we know God is he's redeemed us and he's drawn us to himself. But they go on and they say, we know he's the Lord, but they call him by a surprising name. He's a man of war. He's a God who protects. He's a God who will fight for you. This is what Moses said back in chapter 14. Listen, listen, stand there. God's going to fight for you. You literally, all you have to do is walk in obedience. All you have to do is believe that what God says is true. And God is going to fight for you. This is the exodus. This is your salvation. Your salvation is not what do I have to do to save myself. Your salvation is what has God done to save you. People sing because of this. And by the way, notice this in verse 2, they sing because this is they they say this is my God. Look at the Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. This is my God, I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. So, so so this has become a personal thing. Look look at Some of the things we're very intentional about here at Foothill is we want to make sure that when we sing songs of praise, yes, there are very many times when we will sing our God and we'll lift up our praise together, but there are other times when it's appropriate to say, my God and my salvation, Jesus loves us and Jesus loves me. That God has saved you, that God is a personal God who loves you, who will save you, who will protect you, who will watch over you. Do you know this? I love that this is in here. Yes, this is a song of Moses. It's the song of Israel. But it's the people saying, at the same time they're saying, this is what God has done for us. They're saying it's my salvation. The salvation of God has become personal uh, to me. That's the first thing. God saves and His people sing. The second thing I want you to see is that God defeats impossible enemies. Now, I'm not going to read it all over again, but look at verses 4 through 10. Let me just draw your attention to verse 4. Verses 4 through 10 is all about the vanquishing of the enemy of Egypt and its its forces uh, and how God does it. But notice verse 4. He says Pharaoh's chariots and his host, that's his army, he cast in the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. Let me just say this. Here's what's happening there. This is this is the Egyptian version, you know, uh, ancient Near Eastern version of Seal Team 6, right? This is this is the special forces. This is the elite forces. This is the machine of war going against a slave people who have nothing. They cannot fight for themselves. They are facing an impossibility. Pharaoh is doing his worst. And what does God do? He rescues them. Listen, here's the principle Satan does his worst to you. Right? Some of you go, man, I feel buried under a mountain of sin. Some of you say there is a loved one or a father or a mother or a child that seems to be ensnared. And there are impossible. There are things that in our current age just feel like how in the world do we extricate ourselves? We have some friends. Let me just tell you. I'm, I won't give you their names. We have some friends, dear friends, that, that, that were, were, were great friends to Michelle and I when we were young, a young couple. Our kids kind of born around the same time. And their boy has told them in the last few months that he has rejected his faith, he has rejected them as his mom and dad, and has rejected his gender and is now transitioning to be a woman. Now, doesn't that feel impossible? Doesn't that feel like, man, he is, he is ensnared by something we feel powerless to fight against. And, and that would all be true if it weren't for God. S- see, see, Satan knows how to bring out the big guns. He knows how to bring out the machine of war. He, he knows how to push all the right buttons, fire all the right bullets, and what happens? It seems like he's going to win except for God. Now notice this. Watch how God wins. Look down at verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils the waters piled up. Verse 10, you blew with your wind, the seas covered, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Now, let me give you a 25 cent theological word. Anthropomorphism. Okay, you don't have to write it down. It simply means giving human attributes to God. That is that God is spirit. God doesn't have a nose or hands or feet and yet the Bible's going talk to talk about him like that. But, but, but what does it say? It says the Lord blew with his nostrils. So, so God doesn't have a nose, but what point is being made? Well, think about blowing with your nostrils. Sneezing, you know, just like blowing your nose. Okay, anybody tried to ever blow out your candles on a, on a birthday cake with your nose? I probably shouldn't do it. Nobody's going to eat it. But you probably can't do it. And, and if you, even if you can. Oh, you don't know my nostril power, Chris. Even if you can, I, I defy you to get a bowl of water. Blow your nose as hard as you can. And see if the waters will pile up. How hard does, does air come out of your nose? Here I think is the image. God, and the waters part. Do do you hear what's happening here? It's effortless. It takes God no energy. God speaks and worlds come into existence. Do you understand? This is what he's saying. Israel, what seems impossible to you. Foothill Church, what seems impossible to you is nothing for God. He is the God of the impossible. He's the one who calls into existence things that don't exist. He's the one who resurrects from the dead. He's the one who gives sight to the blind. He's the one who makes the lame walk. He's the one who makes the deaf hear. He's the one who pulls out a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh over and over and over. Listen, <laughs> like, like do, you, do you think you ask God for big enough things? Like, this is the God we serve. My friend's child is not too far gone if God steps in. Do you, do you believe this? this is the power of God. He defeats impossible uh, enemies. Well, let's keep going. Number three, God is incomparable. So, so look, at, look at verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? What's the answer? No one, right? It's a rhetorical question. There's nobody like God. There's no one. There's not an angel or principality or power. There is not a demon or despot or dictator. There's not a president or prime minister or premier. There is no one like God. Which means I heard somebody say this year, this week, uh, uh, all of us, all of us have a conception of God that's too small. Like, I don't care how high your theology of God is, it's too small. Here's what I mean. None of us are going to stand before God someday and go, yep, that's what I expected. <laughs> that's about what I thought it was, or, or worse, kind of disappointing. Because he's not quite what I thought he would be. When people encounter God in Scripture, they, they fall on their feet they tremble. They're terrified. They, they pass out. Like this is the God we're talking about. There is no one like Him. No one has an accurate view of God. So he's saying there's no one like you, right? There's, there's, there, you are majestic in holiness. See that in verse 11? The idea is holiness. You are set apart. You're in a class by yourself. There's, you are incomparable. You are utterly unique. I mean, verse 12 says, you stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. This is what God does. This is how he vanquishes. He with his nose. He just simply opens his hand. He speaks and done. There's no one like God. God is unique. God is incomparable. God is in a class all by Himself. There again. Like, do we believe in a God like this? Like, Some of you are facing impossible odds financially, physically, emotionally, psychologically. There's no one like God. And this goes along with what I said earlier. This is the God who can vanquish impossible enemies. Number four, look at this. God redeems His people. So go down to verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love. I love this. He doesn't just redeem us but he does it out of love the people whom you have redeemed you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode and then he goes on to talk about how he does it i going to look at that in a second but but look at it. redeemed simply means to be bought back it means that the ownership changes so so your ownership if you will they were egypt was slaves of pharaoh they are now servants of god right here here's the the, the bible we could we could say the bible classifies people in a lot of ways like, but, but there's really two classifications, and one of the ways you can figure out which class are you in is to simply say, who owns you? Answer this question, who owns you? Because the Bible's going to say you have two, there's only two answers. Either God does, or sin and Satan own you. There's no, there's no other in between, right? You are, this is why, the, this is why uh, uh, Peter's going to say the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Like, they're, 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 they, we are captive to a foreign power. We are imprisoned. Now, most people assume that's not true of themselves. There's no way. No one owns me. I do what I want. I am utterly free. I have freedom. You Christians are the ones who don't have freedom because I get to do whatever I want. But you don't. You don't get to do whatever you want. You are held captive, right? If you could do whatever you wanted. Now, follow me here. You could follow your heart with no consequences. You could do everything that comes into your heart. You would be utterly free and there would be no bad consequences. But that simply isn't true. Listen, abandon yourself. Give in to all your desires. Do everything you want. And I promise you, there will be a trail of bodies behind you. There will be utter destruction at your feet. Hitler followed his heart. Osama bin Laden followed his heart. Every abortion clinic in the nation and the world follows their heart. So you're not free. This is what Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 7, I'm sorry, 6. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you, you, were, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't have to do righteousness. Then he goes to say, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is sin. Death. Death. But then he goes on to say, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruits you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But you're not free. See, see, someone is going to suffer for every sin you've ever. you, You may not see the consequences right now, and so you think you're free, but they're there and someone's going to suffer it's either you or it's Jesus right this is this is the answer right outside of redemption you're a slave to forces beyond your control Right, that, 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 that you basically are inside a prison and if you can conceive of the prison it's a prison with 500 foot walls and there's concertina at the bottom of the top and all the way there's no climbing that wall and there's armed guards and there's dogs monitoring it and there's cameras and there's no getting out it is a fortress and you think you're free because you're not in solitary confinement you think you're free because they let you out in the yard and you can eat out there and you can play games out there And you can interact with people out there. But I promise you, try to get out on your own. And you'll be beaten mercilessly. Try to rescue yourself. And the enemy will beat you down. You'll never get out on your own. You are helpless. Your only hope is what? Your only hope is a deliverer, a rescuer, a redeemer who will step in, who will subdue the guards, who will reach in on his own power, grab you, rescue you, and deliver you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And when that happens, you'll worship. You'll understand something like you've never. He will see that He's broken the power of canceled sin. He set the prisoner free. Christian, do you remember when God did that for you? You should. And maybe you say, Well, I was very young when that happened to me. It doesn't make it any less true. Just because you didn't know the horrible consequences of sin doesn't mean that there wasn't a point in time when you were a slave, you were a slave child. And God reached down in your childhood and through the power of His Holy Spirit regenerated you. And if He had not done that, you would still today be a slave of sin. But now notice what God does here. Let me just point something out really quickly. Look at verses 13 through 15 and kind of just let your eyes fall on all those verses there through 17. You're going to see how He talks about events. Here's what you need to know. The, the, the song sings about events in the future as though they're in the past. Okay, so, so for example, look at verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love people who you have redeemed. Okay, verse 14. The peoples have heard, past tense. They tremble. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. They're not there yet. Now are the chiefs of Edom Edom dismayed? They haven't met the chiefs of Edom the trembling sees the leaders of Moab all they have in the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away if you're reading the NIV they're going to have these in the future tense the ESV has done it right it's grammatically in the past tense but here's what's happening there's a, there's a, a, a grammatical term we don't need to, you don't need to know this simply this that when God speaks about the future he can speak about it so certainly that it's like it's in the past this is things from God's point of view let me show you an example of this do you know how God talks about your salvation if you are a follower of Jesus? He says this, we know, this is Paul, we know, Romans chapter 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now listen to this. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, past tense, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, past tense, He also called, past tense. And those whom He also called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. He's talking about heaven now. Paul wrote that before any of us in here, if you're a Christian, became a Christian but so certain that it was going to happen that he can speak about it in the past tense. This is what God does. He redeems his people. He saves us. And when he does it, it's certain. But lastly, just look at this. God reigns forever. You see that in verse 18? The Lord will reign forever and ever, which means He's sitting on His throne. The song ends with a promise. It will never change. Nothing God has done can ever be taken away from you because He's never going to be taken off of His throne. He's never going to be usurped by an earthly power. Listen, Joe Biden will serve a maximum of eight years. If Trump gets reelected, he can only go four more. If a dictator is in power, maybe he can serve for life. Every one of them have term limits. God reigns forever. God is reigning now. He will reign forever and ever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. Now by the way, notice this: If you read that, that song again, you'll notice no credit is given to Moses. Here's this man of God. No credits given to anybody except God. It is a song to God about God, for God. God, you did this. You did it alone. You did it all by yourself. That's what your salvation is, Christian. Do you know this? I dare say you will not worship at the depths that God wants you to worship until you realize you had nothing, and I mean nothing, to do with your salvation. That God of His own accord decided, I'm going to rescue you, and now I'm pulling you out. That's when a new song comes into your mouth. In fact, if you want to know how this whole thing ends, go all the way back to Revelation chapter 15. So we might say the song of the redeemed, the song of the, of the whole uh, history of redemption, we could say it's a musical. And here's the last number, chapter 15 of Revelation verse 2, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps in their, uh, of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb, these are the same thing. saying, great and amazing are, you, are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty, just and troy your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God, we're going to worship you for the rest of all time because of what you've done for us. This is the song of Moses. This is the song of the redeemed. Christians, it's good for us to sing. It's good for us to lift our voice and say, look at what God has done to remember, to complete our enjoyment of God by worshiping Him for His goodness. Great moments demand great praise. When God saves, His people sing. And they sing, who is like the Lord our God, strong to save faithful in love. Our debt is paid and the victory is won. The Lord is our salvation. Amen? Amen? Bow with me and pray. Father, we love you and we thank you because you have saved us. For those of us who can claim that and know that to be true, God, we, we recognize that. And Lord, I pray that you would reignite a passion. You'd, you'd reignite an awareness, God, that we remember that we have been saved. And for those, God, who have not yet been saved, Lord, and they see what you do, how you will utterly vanquish enemies. God, maybe if not in this life where we may not see that, you will in the life to come. We may go through years, as it were, of bondage in a world still serving you. Knowing there's coming a day, Lord, this is a paradigm of our life. There's coming a day when we will say, we will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Every enemy that pursued us has been vanquished. And now the victory is won because the Lord is our salvation. God, we love you for that. And may that be true for every person in this room, every person listening to my voice, that God, today would be a day of salvation where they would know that they would be saved. And they would be able to sing the song of the redeemed with Moses and Israel and people throughout the ages. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.